you know, trying to find other people to bounce ideas off of, building a working group or a team to make sure you're not stuck in your own silo is a really great way to make sure that you're getting a blend of different experiences and expertise while you're still driving forward and trying out your new idea. Hi, welcome to Change Out Loud, the podcast where change management intersects with everyday life. I'm Adnan Ali. And I'm Kara Sundar. Today we have Ashley Nichols. She is an author of the upcoming book, Tech to Save the World, which explores how everyday people, even those who don't consider themselves technology people, can use the modern tools that surround us to tackle some of our greatest challenges in development, conservation, and sustainability. She's also an experienced technology consultant and based in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. So what gave you the idea to write a book about technology for non-technical people? You know, it was so funny because we were in the middle of COVID. Actually, it was October of 2020. So we were in the height of the political atmosphere and it was like the depths of COVID when everything was shutting down and winter was coming. And it was just a really dark and dismal and sad time. And I felt really flustered and frustrated. And I remember sitting at my work desk, just staring out my window thinking, I just, I want to help, but I don't know what to do. And I feel Mm. so lost and powerless. And I hate this feeling. And around that time, I started doing some research on really interesting technology uses around the world. Everything from AI to say coral reefs, to solar technologies to be used in medicine and, and different purposes like that. And so I had this idea to start writing a book around those things because they inspired me. You know, how are we taking technology, a thing that is big in the business world, a thing that is usually used to generate money and wealth, but instead turn it into idealistic goals. And so I started pulling these ideas together and I started reaching out for folks for interviews. And I was excited to hear about how these technologies were going to save us. And it got very boring very quickly because people were, you know, would share, well, yeah, I coded it in this and it does this and these are the outcomes and the metrics from it. Uh, any other questions? And it was a little bit dry. And then finally, I was on my third interview and I was like, okay, why did you do this? Like, what interests mm-hmm. you? And people just lit up. The tone of the conversations completely changed. And they shared some interesting background of like, they grew up with this problem and they were passionate about it, or they were in a totally different field, but they really loved this thing and they explored it and it suddenly kicked off. And long story short, the more interviews I had, the more I started to realize there were these common threads across all of these stories from people from all different walks of life and socioeconomic classes and backgrounds to come together to make these really incredible things that were making change to the world, even if they were in tiny ways. So I thought, you know, I've been so focused on how the tech is going to save us, but maybe I should talk more about how people can use tech to save us. And then as I went further along, I found that there were really those common threads and I realized anybody can do this if they know how. Mm -hmm. So it shifted into becoming more of a user guide to how you can change the world. That's incredible. What an amazing story. And you actually say, like, there are no technology people. Maybe, you know, a decade or two back, there were people who were in technology and understood the coding and all the things you're talking about. But today, there's so much we can take advantage of to pursue any kind of goal we have. So, Really, the tech to save the world idea, it sounds so audacious. (laughs) I was really amazed when I saw that come through. So I would love to hear more about real-life examples from your book about how people are using that technology to solve big problems. Absolutely. And there are so many. I mean, you you can't go five seconds on social media without tripping over one, which I love because it's very inspiring. And you see people from all over the world doing really cool things. But there are a few that come to top of mind right away. 
One of the ones that I highlight quite a lot through the book is the work of a woman called Dr. Laura Stachel. She and her husband, Hal, founded an organization called We Care Solar. What's interesting about the story is Dr. Stachel was an obstetrician. She was pursuing a PhD. And so she went over to Africa, it was Nigeria, I believe, to study why in our modern medical climate, we have you know all these incredible tools and technologies. 300,000 women each year still die on childbirth. And she was like, why? Like, what is happening and why is this so much more common, you know, in certain parts of the world? And so she traveled to Africa to study this. And she got there and almost immediately the answer turned on like a light. It turned out that in lots of parts of the country, electricity was not a given. They had a lot of rolling blackouts. They didn't have common access. And so what would happen is if someone came in and was having a pregnancy during the day, not ideal, but they could get through it. But if a woman came in as the sun was setting and it was nighttime, she and her child were three times more likely to die because they didn't have the power to observe what was going on, to have the tools they needed to help her through if something went wrong. And she observed some of this in person and was heartbroken and frustrated. But she happened to have just like a connection. Her husband, Hal, had been working in solar electricity for 10 years. He'd been an educator in that field and so she wrote him this like long letter about how frustrated she was. And he wrote back to her and said, let's do something about it. So they kind of put their brains together and they created this incredible concept. It's called the Solar Suitcase. It is a portable device. It's the size of a suitcase. It has solar panels on the front of it. And then inside, it's all kinds of tools that you would need for a birth procedure. So it's got medical grade lamps. It's got ultrasound devices. It's got cell phone charging in case you need to call for other emergency support. And all these tools are built in and it's great because you can go set it outside in the sun during the day and then pull it inside and turn it on if you lose power. They provided millions upon millions of hours of light to people all over the world over the last few years. So that's really one of the highlights. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Truly life-changing. You're literally saving lives with this new technology. How incredible. Share another one with us. For sure. Another one that I really love is a woman named Lex Chylert. And the reason I love this one is because it, you know, you hear a story like that and you're like, okay, but I don't know, I'm not an obstetrician. I don't know how to use solar energy. But Lex Chylert is really interesting because she, for the last, you know, 20, 30 years has been very prominent in the animal activism space. And she actually runs Elephant Nature Park, which is kind of an elephant retirement home in Thailand where tourism and trekking are very common and elephants are really still used as work animals. She has been using technology for more than 20 years to try and get the word out about these elephants. First, you may be familiar, kind of in the last like 10, 15 years, there's been this like wave of elephants not being used in circuses anymore. That's partly because she actually went into the hill tribes of Thailand and used hidden cameras back when they were an early technology to record how they trained elephants. And they put them through this exercise called the crush box where they take babies away and they beat them until they're so terrified they don't even remember their own mothers. And then that is the point at which they're able to train them for circus acts, for trekking, for work. And she recorded that and then released it to the world, I think through a National Geographic documentary that she supported. And so that really helped with the upswell of people saying, no more elephants in shows. Like, why, why are we doing this? This is a horrible practice. And then over the last couple of years, she's also been really a strong proponent using social media. So she uses things like Instagram, Facebook, Zoom calls to help connect people with the elephants in Thailand that she's rescued or or other camps. And the thing that I really love the most about her and what what I was able to feature in the book recently is when COVID hit, Thailand shut down almost immediately. They were just like, nope, we're not messing with this. Borders are closed. Thanks. Have a nice day. But because elephant tourism is such a big piece of their economy, Suddenly, you had 
hundreds of elephant camps that were trekking or tourism or animal shows that had no money coming in. And they had no way to feed these animals. And so she started to go on social media and share the plight of not only her animals that she had at the reserve, but also of other ones throughout the country. And she was able to raise enough money through fundraising, through social media, through elephant birthday cakes. She would sell. People could like buy fruit displays with like, happy birthday, so-and-so. And she'd like film the elephants eating it during COVID. They would do like elephant Zoom calls and like elephant tours. When people were like stuck at home, they could like see a tour of these um, elephant reserves. And she used all those things to keep getting the word out about elephants and their plight in, in Thailand and throughout Asia. And she was able to keep both her organization running and keep feeding some of the other captive elephants throughout Thailand, which was really incredible. And she has this great quote from a few years ago where she talks about how the absolute best tool we have for advocacy is something we carry around in our pocket, and it's our phone. Anybody can use social media. Anyone can record a video. Anyone can, you know, put out, hey, you know, please donate funding for this issue or, hey, did you know about this cause? And I really love her story because of the simplicity of it. It's really focused around the passion rather than the technology. Yeah. And I think it would have been a very different story if COVID had happened 20 years ago, let's say, where we didn't have that at our fingertips access to social media and the like. You you have to buy a spot on a TV show and film a commercial and it's this very heavy handed or mail merge, you know, (laughs) to all your sponsors and to be able to have that almost like tangible, visceral experience of watching the birthday cake that you paid for being eaten by this elephant. I mean, that's just so powerful and something I think we can all appreciate as a technical tool that we could all use. You know, the other thing I think about too, Ashley, is that with technology nowadays, you have more of an opportunity to trial and error what works. So Mm. once upon a time, 20 years ago, you had to bet the farm on one approach. And if it didn't work, there goes the dream. You know, you can't do what you set out to do because all of your budget, all of your resourcing and time went into one approach. And nowadays, because there are so many routes that you could go with advocacy and the work that you do, and they're not expensive to do. A lot of it is just passion, right? If you have the passion, you have the drive, you want to change the world, you can try it. And and you'll immediately get feedback on what's working and what's not. And you can course correct and make those adjustments along the way. Absolutely. And it's so funny you say that because, you know, when I talk about the common threads that make these things work, two of them were iteration, you know, throw something in the ball, doesn't stick. What did we learn? You know, there's no such thing as failure. It is, okay, well, we learned what doesn't work, so let's try something else. And another one is like listening to locals or stakeholders and like getting feedback from the folks that you're trying to reach directly. I think that's something we miss a lot when we're creating solutions or or working in change efforts, right? We have great ideas. We don't talk to the people that are on the other end of those ideas. And so I think that's a great point on both fronts of we get almost automatic feedback in today's world, which is great. And the, the barrier for entry is much, much lower. So another incredible story about idealistic innovation is a young gentleman named Tyler Sklutichek. And I love his story because it really is, it speaks to both iteration, as we talked about, and listening to, to people who experience a problem directly. So Tyler, when he grew up, he was close to a, a very specific problem, which was that his father had gone off to, I believe, Afghanistan and came back safely. And they were super happy to have him home. And for a while, everything was wonderful. And they were just happy to have him back. And then after a few months, things kind of went sideways. His father could not sleep through the night. He was experiencing traumatic nightmares as a symptom of PTSD. And in an attempt to sleep, in an attempt to deal with this, he was turning to alcohol. He was turning to pills. 
his inability to sleep led to mood swings, all this kind of cascaded and snowballed. He wound up losing his job, his home, his wife. And it was a really traumatic and horrible experience for the family. And his father was continuing to try to manage that for years, even up till the time when Tyler went off to college. So fast forward, Tyler's in college and he's studying computer science. And, you know, when you're in the computer science field, you get all these emails, right? Of, oh, we're doing this hackathon. We're having this event. Come on over. And one day he's, you know, just checking his email and he sees an invitation for a hackathon in Washington, D.C. Now, normally he'd skip right past this one because he was in Minnesota and that's a pretty far flight and he was a college student, so that costs money. But then something caught his eye and he saw that it was actually a hackathon supported by uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense, specifically trying to find ways to help sufferers of PTSD. So Mm. he reserved a spot, he booked a flight, and he went out to D.C. to participate in this hackathon because it, it almost called to him. It was so important to him to try and be a part of this. So he goes out. And another thing about hackathons that is interesting to know is that usually they also attract a local crowd, right? So he he shows up and there's people from all the different universities, right? There's a Georgetown University group, there's a American University group, and there's like a, a four or five stragglers that just aren't affiliated. So he walks around and is like, hey, you have a team? Join my team. You're on my team. Let's go. And they get this group of kind of stragglers together and they start working on these ideas. And throughout that whole weekend, they're able to work with physicians who are specialists in PTSD to learn about how PTSD is treated or how symptoms are managed. And one idea that really catches the team's attention is how they use service dogs to support sufferers of PTSD. So people who have traumatic nightmares are sometimes assigned service dogs, and these service dogs are taught how to note the physical markers of when someone is having a traumatic nightmare and wake them up. So if somebody is lurching in their sleep or crying out, the dog will get up and they'll nuzzle them and they'll wake them up so the person doesn't fully fall into the traumatic nightmare. In this case, the team looked at the tools available to them and they asked, can we use something like a Fitbit or a night watch or something that physically buzzes to wake someone when they're experiencing this nightmare? Can we simulate that service dog aspect in a tool that literally anyone can have? So they go, they have some coders on the team, they begin building this algorithm, they have this great idea, they have the watches available so they're able to start using that technology. And at the end of the hackathon, they win the hackathon. They have this great concept, they you know get this prize for having the best idea at the hackathon, and everyone's like, great, and they head home. And mm. suddenly there's like this, you know, what do you do? You had this idea. The biggest problem with this was they had no way to test it, right? It was a great idea, but how do they actually make it something real and make, make it work? So Tyler mm. took it to his dad. And he said, dad, crazy idea. I went to this hackathon. We created this thing. I don't know that it works, but do you want to try it? And to hear Tyler share the story, his dad burst into tears and said, I will try anything to sleep. So they started working together. So every night, Patrick, Tyler's dad, would wear the watch. And every day the next day, Tyler would download the data from the watch to see, okay, you know, did it buzz to wake him up? We you know, what were the markers that, that caught? Because Tyler's goal and the goal, the original goal of the team was to have the vibration buzz just enough to draw you out of that deep dream REM sleep, but not fully all the way awake so that you could actually sleep through the night, which is a really difficult balance to find. Long story short, they tested this for months with Patrick wearing the watch and giving feedback and with Tyler iterating on the algorithm week by week. They were actually able to find that sweet spot of how to make it vibrate in a very specific circumstance in a very specific way. And now this year, actually, that application is now called Nightwear. It was recently approved by the FDA for situational use to treat sufferers of PTSD symptoms. So 
I just love that story because it was something that was so close to Tyler's heart that he was able to use his own experiences and background in and then really worked with somebody who experienced it directly to make something that could literally save lives. So I think it's an incredible story. It's amazing. Wow. So inspiring. So I'm thinking about a lot of people out there who might have a passion or a dream, but a lot like your elephant retirement home example, you know, they might just understand social media, but have an idea of, I know there's technology out there that might even just be emerging, but I know a way that it could be applied. How would you recommend they go about making those connections to find people who might have more technical skills than they do to, you know, iterate and experiment? You know, my favorite thing about writing this book was that it taught me the confidence of just ask. You know, the number of like professors at universities that I emailed and said, hey, expert in this field, question for you. And they would email me back in two hours like, yes, of course, this is a great like here's a paper on this. You can see like we're cited here. You know, the number of people who offered to have interviews with me, the number of people who were happy to lean in and help. I was just so surprised by, hey, I have a question. Can I pick your brain on this? The number of people who were excited to collaborate and and to work with me on, on this thing, even if there wasn't a direct benefit to them. They were passionate about it too, and they cared about it too, and they wanted to see what could come of that. So the biggest thing that I love to tell people, especially like young people, I feel like there's this kind of barrier that we put for ourselves, right? Of like, oh, I shouldn't bother them. Like, you know, I'll do some like Googling, but like, I shouldn't like reach out, reach out, you know, DM, you know, at somebody on Twitter, send, if you can find their formal email, send them a note, you know, the worst thing they're going to do is not respond to you, right? And like, oh, well, that that happens. It's probably because they're inundated with emails. But I've had really interesting, incredible, smart people share their expertise with me freely, willingly, because they were just excited to see what I could do with it. So the first thing I'd say is, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to get expertise. And then especially when folks are starting to go down this road, you know, trying to find other people to bounce ideas off of, building a working group or a team to make sure you're not stuck in your own silo is a really great way to make sure that you're getting a blend of different experiences and expertise while you're still driving forward and trying out your new idea. Fantastic advice. Well, Ashley, going back to this idea that we're all technical people, you don't have to be a technologist necessarily by trade to you know, push something forward using the tools available to us today. I love what you're saying about the passion and the why and you know, really getting people on the journey with you. I think that's just it seems so basic, right? But I could totally imagine myself like, oh, I need to become an AI expert now, <laughs> which is just never going to happen. But, you know, if you have an idea and you partner with somebody who is an AI expert, you know, the magic that could happen, it sounds just incredible. So where can people find your book if they want to read more? Absolutely. So if you head to amazon.com and you look up Tech to Save the World, you can find it there. Or you can visit techtosavethaworld.com and there are links there as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is really inspirational. Thanks everybody for listening. Go buy Tech to Save the World, get inspired, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.